You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Good morning, Northside. How are you doing today? You doing good? We better be doing good. It's the first of March. It is in like a lamb, but it's out like a lion. You guys heard that, but spring's on the way. We're going to start a new sermon series, just three weeks in duration, and we're going to talk about being a generous life. Now, some people have a a struggle when the preacher starts talking about money. I'm kind of going to talk about money, but kind of not really. I'm going to talk about the underlying factor of everything this morning. Uh, And strategically, we took up the offering just before I got up here to preach, okay? Because we don't want to manipulate you at all. We want to motivate you to serve God and to to, uh, to obey God and His commands. Uh, and so, uh, so, so please know that's our, our purpose. You know, some people get really uncomfortable when they start talking about, about money. And maybe that's because, maybe that's because some preachers, some churches have just made that the focus and not, not uh, um, the, the real focus be on God. Uh, and we tried not to do that. That's one of the things I love about Northside. We just try to teach the Scriptures. Here's what the Scriptures teach. But we do want to bring it up when it's time to bring it up. Um, I will let you know that uh, we do pretty good the first Sunday of the month, but we don't meet budget the rest of the month. And, and so uh, it's difficult in that way because we have stepped out in a huge way to, do, to help people like the video that you just saw. So it's incredible. Um, so let's just kind of start all talk about money for just a second. Uh, I have, I have a one dollar bill in my pocket. Okay, um, Paula paid me this week, uh, so I'm good. I brought out one of my bigger bills. Uh, no, that's not true. Well, it's true she paid me, but anyway. You know, she always gives me just a little less than what I need so that I always come begging back to her for a little more. No, I'm kidding. You. <clears throat> anyway, you know what's on the back of this one dollar bill? In God we trust. I absolutely looked, it's on the $5 bill, the the $10 bill, the $20 bill, the $100 bill. That's all the ones I really checked. Um, But it says, in God we trust. Now, you know, I believe that's true at least when money was first printed. Because when our country was first established, we based our whole government on on God and trusting in God and, and Christianity and it, it really isn't like that so much anymore. It's really kind of pathetic what we've seen in the political world in the last several years. Uh, and I'm not sure we trust in God anymore. Oh, we should, but I don't think we do. I, I think we trust in money. Uh, that's what I've seen in my lifetime. We trust more in money than we trust in God because that kind of becomes our, our security blanket because if we have money, then, then we're, we're okay. And, and and that's really not, not what God wants us to do. He wants us to trust in Him. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Now, we may not bow down to uh, worship a, an idol. We may not bow down and worship a, a graven statue. But I do think that we worship money in that regard. It's become the great American idol. It's a big problem, not just in America. It's a problem really all over the world that, that people do that. Money becomes our master. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus talks so much about money. You know, he talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell. He talked more about money than he talked about prayer. And those are some really huge things, but he still talked about money. Now, why did he do that? You know why I think? I think he did that because he knew that money could be his chief competition, that we would start putting our faith and trust in money rather than in God. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. The priority we want to talk about is is a generous life. 
And one of the reasons we're going to do this is teaching the scripture is uh, uh, just, we did this a a year ago. We talked about generosity. Uh, Jeff and I and Eric all rotated. So we're going to rotate the next three weeks. Uh, We're going to preach in... um, I'm going to preach here. I'm going to preach in Medina. Jeff's going to preach in Medina. I'm going to preach here. So we're going to rotate. Eric's going to preach in both places. So we're going to rotate because we want you to know it's just not one person's opinion. It is what God teaches in the scripture. And we think that's very, very important that we understand that. So uh, the priority is a generous life. The big idea is this. A generous life reflects God's character. And you are never more like God than when you are giving. And we want you to be like God. God is a God of faithfulness. And so if he's truly faithful then that means we can truly trust in him because he says he's going to provide for us. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. Um, uh, if, if we're not careful, money can become uh, uh, a substitute for God. But real disciples know that money is not our master. Jesus is. And so we've got to put Jesus Christ in that first place. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, no man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. However, uh, how we handle money, uh, we think how we do our finances, really kind of shows where we really do put our trust, okay? And so we're going to talk about trust, right? Because that's the bottom issue. Uh, and we talk about generosity in the next three weeks. Bottom line, this is where it starts. It, tru- it starts with, do I trust God? And so to look at that, we're going to go back to 1 Kings chapter 17. It's the Old Testament. And talk about Elijah for just a few moments. Uh, And by looking at Elijah's struggle, I think we can learn some very valuable lessons, actually incredible lessons today, if we just take note and listen in this this passage. Elijah is a prophet of God, and he has just predicted that it's not going to rain for several years, and that's going to produce a drought, which is going to produce a famine, and they're going to have lots of problems here in the Old Testament. Um, The false god that they were worshiping was a god they called Baal. Now, in the Old Testament, you have to understand when they use the term Baal, that just refers to any false god, okay? Now, many commentators feel like right here, they were worshiping a false god that was the god of rain. So it's interesting that God withheld rain because they would worship a god of rain. And so then that kind of makes sense, that God withheld his blessing in the area that they worship to place him. Now, you think about that when that comes to money. Now, we shouldn't be surprised Um, uh, that that might happen to us as well. Sometimes we pray for God's prosperity. We pray for God's wealth. We pray for uh, God to bless us with a new house, a new car, uh, a better salary, a better job. Um, And then we wonder, well, why doesn't God bless us? Doesn't he want us to have what we really desire? Doesn't he want to make us happy? Um, uh, Doesn't he want to give me the comforts that, that I desire? Well, here's the reason. God does not give out idols. And if he sees that that is going to be a chief competition of his place in your life, and that's going to be more important than he is, then don't be surprised if God withholds his blessing in that area. Now, what's interesting is Elijah, he was trying to help people understand God and God's position. And when that happened, you you know what the result was? They got mad. And the authorities actually tried to kill him. So he's on his, uh, he's, he's kind of running for his life here. And so let's pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the first few verses. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, who was the king, as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, 
there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then in verse 3, God says, leave here, turn eastward and hide in Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. And so this drought lasted for three and a half years, and all the while God is providing for Elijah in the midst of this drought. So he goes to this brook, but eventually the brook dries up. And so I'm wondering, and we don't really know, the Scripture doesn't say what what Elijah was thinking, but it's like, God, what are you thinking? You're, You're taking me away from the Jordan River, which is a source of water. And you're taking me to this little brook, and then the brook's dried up, and then you say you're going to feed me with ravens? God, what are you thinking? And sometimes, sometimes I think that we kind of think the same way. It's like, seriously, God? Are you really going to do that? And, and so it's really, it's really a test of, do we really trust God? And here's what actually happened. Verse 5, so he did what the Lord told him to do, and he went to Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. Because Elijah knows that trusting God means obedience. And so he trusted God is going to be faithful to his word. So he went and obeyed what God has told him to do. And in this, there's some incredible lessons that we learn. Here's the first three. Here's number one. Trust God even when it doesn't make sense. There are some things like, you, you want me to leave the water source and you want me to go here and you're going to feed me with ravens? That doesn't make sense, God. And, and we need to learn to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Because when we start talking money, okay, it doesn't make sense to us. You know why? Because it's countercultural. The church says you need, to be, you need to be a giving person. You need to be a generous kind of person. But the, the world says, you know, I need to hoard. I need to get as much as I can get. The world says things like look out for number one or the survival of the fittest or uh, get all you can get out of life. And so when we hear this, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense that God says that we ought to be giving kind of people. And so <clears throat> we have a hard time believing that because it's so different than what <clears throat> the Bible says about money. But here's an example. Look at what Jesus said. He's quoted in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Excuse me for my voice this morning. Now, it's more blessed to give than receive. How many of you believe that this morning? Let me see your hands. How many of you believe that? Okay, about half of you. You know, I really all thought you'd believe the Bible more than that. Now, how how many really believe that? It's more blessed to give than receive. There you go. Okay, except for you few sinners that I need to talk to afterwards. No. Uh, Yeah, we believe that because it's in the Bible. Now, let let me put it this way. Suppose I had $1,000, which I don't to give you, but suppose I had $1,000 and I was going to give you. That'd be pretty easy to take, right? Yeah, we'd like that. But what what suppose there is a widow lady that needed $1,000? Would you take your own money and give that to that widow lady that needed that $1,000? Which would be easier? to receive the $1,000 or to give $1,000. You see, we, we say we believe it, but then when it comes down to it, man, some of that stuff is really, really hard. Now Solomon, Solomon encourages us in this. Look at Proverbs chapter three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. In other words, trust in the Lord. Don't lean on what we think and what we're taught by the world, but trust in God because that's really where it is. Now, the defini- definition of trust is, is reliance in, 
it, it's confidence in that, that you know that God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the present. He will be faithful in the future. And so you know that God will supply all of your needs. Now look at verse 7 of our text. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, just to make sure that we're all on the same page here, uh, God sent Brooke, uh, sent Elijah away from the life water of the Jordan River to this little brook, and the brook dries up. And even though it didn't make sense, Elijah obeyed and he went. And then God provided for him, and then all of a sudden, the brook dried up. Now, I wonder how many of us feel like Elijah sometimes, and we're standing there where we think God has sent us, and the brook has dried up. We feel like we've tried to be faithful to God. We feel like we've tried to trust God. We feel like we've tried to do what God has told us to do and to go where God has told us to do. And we're sitting there thinking, man, this is drying up. And we're sitting there thinking and we're wondering, God, don't you see how shallow the water's getting? And don't you see that there's not much left? And then we, we really start struggling with some of those things. And so we're waiting for God to do something, but God doesn't seem to do something. And so, so we've got to trust God even when it doesn't make sense to us, Here, which leads me to the second point. The second point is trust God even when, you, even when the future is uncertain. It's like we don't know what's going to come. You still need to trust God. A fellow by the name of Henry Nguyen wrote a book called Sabbatical Journeys. And in this, he talked about he had friends that were trapeze artists. And they were explaining the idea of trapeze artists. And he said, at one point, there's two, there's two parts. There's the, there's the flyer and then there's the catcher. And so they're up there they're swinging way above the crowd. And at one point, the flyer has to let go of his bar. And as he lets go of the bar, he has to rely on the catcher to catch him. Now, he said the, the flyer's job is, is to release, to let go, and then just wait, and the catcher will catch him. But the problem is, it, sometimes we, we want to hit the panic button. It's like we know that we're supposed to let go, so we let go. And then we want to hit the panic button. It's like, no, we want to grab onto something. And he said, if the flyer panics and tries to grab onto the catcher, bad things can happen and serious injury can happen. So the flyer has to just relax and let the catcher catch him. Trust me. Reach out your hands. Trust me. And I will catch you is what God says. So listen, God will catch you. He will catch you. You just have to trust him. You have to let go and trust that he will catch you. And then God gives Elijah further instructions. Look at verse 9. God tells him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, do you see the irony here? Um, God sent Elijah away to a small brook. He sends Elijah now into enemy territory because before at least he was in his promised land, and now he's going to the Canaanites, um, and he's supposed to get water, food and water from a widow, and that doesn't sound like a very good plan. Um, Elijah, he could come up with all kinds of objections as to why, hey, this doesn't really make sense, God. However, he doesn't argue or complain. He just trusts. Look at verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. Now, again, the Brook Zarephath or Brook Cherith was in the Promised Land. It probably was in the half-tribe of Manasseh, if you know anything about Israel's history. 
And he's leaving there, his homeland, to go into enemy territory. Probably belonged to the Canaanites, according to Obadiah chapter 1, verse 20. So he's going into enemy territory now. Um, Now that's tough because obedience uh, to God is sometimes difficult. Now you stop and think about it. It's not always easy. What if God asked you to leave the comforts of your home and your family in in northeast Ohio to go to some other land? Let's say like Mexico. And you're saying, Mexico, hmm, Cancun, sun, shine. Our church built a church there. That's not so bad. I'm not talking Mexico. I'm talking Haiti, where it's probably one of the poorest countries on this side of the world. And God asks you to go there. You see, it's altogether different, isn't it? And I wonder, you know, you know the, I wonder if the widow woman and her son, uh, I wonder if they would have starved if if Elijah hadn't come and did what Elijah did, if it wasn't for Elijah's obedience. And you know, the, the widow lady, she was obedient as well. And I wonder if Elijah would have starved. Uh, starved. You, you know one thing I've learned? I think this is very important. I've learned that when I am obedient, blessings come to me. But I've also learned, I think most of us kind of understand that, but I've also learned when I am obedient, blessings come to other people too. And I think that's something that we've got to get in our head because that, that widens a whole new world and a whole new perspective. And so when you are obedient, that means blessings are going to come to you, but it also means blessings are going to come through you to other people, I think. And, and I wonder how many times we're missing out on God's blessings, we're missing out on His provision, we're missing out on His miracles because we're not obedient. And that's what he's talking about here. Um, Elijah, he goes to the widow and he asks her to bring her some water. And this is like a complete stranger to this lady. And because uh, there's little water to be found anywhere, but still he goes and he does and the widow agrees. And as she leaves, look what he says, verse 11. As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. So that's like in essence saying, hey lady, while you're at it, you bring me your life savings, okay? Because that is all she had. Now, we don't really understand that kind of poverty, but that's all she had, which leads me to the third challenge. Trust God even when we don't think we have enough. And I think that's hard sometimes, too, because we think we have to, that, that we'll trust him in, this, in the midst of having enough. But look what happens, verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? It's like I doubt that there's anybody here that is, has been in that much poverty that when you get up in the morning, you wonder where your next meal is going to come from. Well, I kind of do. I, I kind of think, well, Casa del Rio, Taco Bell, Chinese restaurant. You know, I, I, I think about those things like, where's my next meal going to be? But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, am I even going to have any food for the day? Some places that's so poverty-stricken in the world, they're like that. But we can't really understand that. But that kind of puts it in their perspective when we think about this. Do you know, I looked it up this last week on the Global Rich List. If you make $32,400 a year then you are in the top 1% of wealth, of making wealth annually, globally. That's how blessed we are in America. In fact, if you make just 24,000 or 25,000, you're in the top 2%. Now, when was the last time that you really wondered where in the world's your next 
meal coming from because there's no money and there's no food. There's, there's nothing. So put yourself in her shoes. And could she have said, man, I'd like to help you, but I just don't have enough. And I wonder how many times we're kind of like that too. We'd like to give, we just don't have enough. Do you know the disciples said the same thing? You remember when Jesus was teaching uh, and he was teaching all day and and then uh, it comes toward day, evening. Look at Matthew chapter 14. As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, hey, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only have five loaves and bread and two fish. You know they're saying the same thing? We don't have enough. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. You see, I, I think the widow lady saying the same thing, the disciples are saying thing, and we say the same things too. It's like, I'd like to help, but I don't have enough. And I wonder if sometimes we don't receive God's promises and God's provisions and God's blessing, God's miracles, because we just think that we don't have enough. We don't have what it takes. We don't know enough. We don't, we don't own enough. We, we just can't. And, and the temptation is, is to kind of feel that way. I think the devil would love for us to think we don't have enough. Oh, I don't, have a, I don't know enough to, to share, share the Bible with somebody. I don't know enough to, to, to share my test. I don't, I don't know enough to, to invite somebody. We're not big enough to make an impact in Medina County. I think he'd love for us to think of that. All you have to have is a little ping pong ball. You know, just ask somebody, invite somebody, and write their name on the ping pong ball and put it out there in the fish tank. Remember that? It's like just, just you're sharing your testimony, your life, inviting the church, make a difference. And sometimes I think, well, I don't know enough. Do I need to remind you that God used a little boy named David to kill a big giant named Goliath? Look what happens in verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and for your son. So Elijah knew there was one major thing that would keep her from doing this, and that's fear. The fear of, I don't have enough. And so I I can't because I don't have enough. So he says, don't be afraid. You know, two things that really kind of stick out on me, it really happened in verse 12. When she meets him, she says to Elijah, your God, which means it is not her God. And so she's meeting this stranger and he has a different God than she worships. And so she has to trust not only Elijah, but the other God. And the second thing is if Elijah's wrong, then her and her son are gonna give the last morsel away to him and they're not gonna have anything for themselves at all. And, but he did and they were blessed. And I wonder how many times we're missing out on God's blessings, his provisions, his, his promises, and even his miracles because we just think, well, we just don't have enough. Now, if the widow could overcome her fear and give, then shouldn't we be able to overcome our fear and give? Because we certainly have more than what she would have. Um, you know, you ever wondered, why did God choose, why did God choose this widow? You know, you would kind of think if anybody would get a pass on this generosity stuff, it'd be her because she's a poor widow lady. And yet, he chose her. Uh, Why? I I wonder if there's maybe some lessons that we could learn from this widow lady. So there's three lessons I jotted down. Here's number one. Generosity lesson number one. God expects everybody to give something. And sometimes we don't think we have enough. Sometimes we think other people are going to do it. Uh, And and that's part of the problem when there's there's a big need. You think, well, I don't hardly have enough, so my little bit's not going to help. Somebody else is going to step up and somebody else will help. It's like, no, 
everything. Uh, and, and you know, I think that's one of the reasons why I love Northside so much because there's so many of God's people, so many that are just very generous and have always stepped up to help, whether that's feed a village in Africa for three years or whether that's uh, building a church and, and helping uh, orphanage children in Haiti or, or whatever that's been. We have, we have stepped up so many times. It's just been absolutely miraculous to see that. Um, and so God has filled this church with very generous people. Oh, here's the second generosity lesson. Uh, lesson number two, God can use whatever I give. Because really, it's not just, it's not a matter of the amount, whether big or small. It's a matter of your heart. Um, there was a widow lady that was talked about in Luke chapter 21, I believe. And she had two copper coins. And the story is about, you know, everybody else gave, they gave a little bit out of their abundance. But even though she gave just two little coins, she gave everything she had. And so really, it's not the amount. It is the heart that is there. And so your gifts, whether big or small, they make a huge difference in feeding the poor, housing the homeless, taking the gospel around the world, supporting our missionaries, building churches. It's been an incredible amount of things that have been done. Uh, so, so why? Why did God choose this poor widow? You ever wonder why? If anybody should have gotten past, this should have been this lady. I think it's, it's because he can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to. It's, it's probably the same reason that he chose a little boy named David to defeat Goliath. It's probably the same reason why he chose a young teenage girl to give birth to a son, Jesus Christ, named Mary. It's probably the same reason that he took an uneducated fisherman by the name of Peter and used him to build his church and make a difference in the world. See, God can use whatever we're willing to give him. Let's wrap up the story this way. Uh, Elijah tells her not to be afraid. Look at verses 14 and 15. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Now, do you see what happened? She trusted a God and obeyed him. And then God provided. That's an incredible lesson that we all need to learn. Trust and obey, and then God provides. There's, there's, uh, when, when you give, give, there's always a receiving that happens. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Again, this is the words of Jesus. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So they're giving always results in receiving. So, so as we give, you know, it, it's like you trust and obey and then God provides. Um, the, the takeaway for us is this. God provides for us after we trust in him. So the trust comes first. We see it three times in this passage. First of all, at the, uh, God said, go to the brook. And he did, and God provided. He says, go to um, the widow. He did, and God provided. And he tells the widow, uh, do this, and then God provided as well. And so we see it time and time again. And there's plenty of other examples in there. And so here's the bottom line. We see through God, little becomes much. If you have little money, much money comes. If you have a, 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 little, a little joy, a lot of joy. A little strength a lot of strength, a little blessing, a big blessing. You see, because God is in it. So when God is in it, those burdens become blessings and sinners come to saints and gloom turns to, to, 
to grace because that's how God works. So here's generosity lesson number three. We are most like God when we give. God's a giver. Do you know that? Look at John chapter 3, 16. It's probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's because he gave that we're saved from our sins and have a home in heaven forever and ever. It's because we're saved. It's because he was a giver. And so you are most like God when you're a giver because he was a giver. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be a God. It means going to be like God. And I would hope that everybody here at Northside has a reputation of that guy, that man, that woman. You know, they're a giver. They remind me of God because you're most like God when you give. Let's pray and then we'll sing. God Almighty, uh, so many things you can teach us in the scriptures. Uh, I just hope and pray that we have an open heart and an open mind to know that it really comes down to not our money. It comes down to our faith. It comes down to we really trust you as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, the one who is in control of all things. Do we really trust you to provide? Oh, God, I know we do. If we do, we trust, we obey, and then come the blessings. God, I want our people to be blessed. I want them to be blessed in you. Help them to put you number one. Help them trust you because you are, you are faithful. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Let's be standing as we sing.